TLR fam, hope you are doing well. Welcome to TLR at home. We're in Alcatraz uh, part three tonight, kicked off this series uh, a couple of weeks ago. And if you're just tuning in, I want to encourage you to, to go back and watch uh, the, the previous two messages of the series. But this is just kind of where we've been going is we've been talking about the things in life that we've deemed inescapable. That there are things in life, it might be a sin, a struggle, a habit, a shame from our past that we've just deemed inescapable. And so this series is about the reality that because of Jesus, nothing is inescapable. And just to kind of set the foundation for we went week one, it was that Jesus wants a full life for you. He came to give you a full life. And the fullness of life is found in the freedom of Christ. That you and I can live full because Jesus set us free. And what the remaining weeks of the series are looking like, and we did it last week with repentance, which is a really churchy word, and, 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 and we kind of redefined it and gave it new life and new meaning last week. But we're practically talking about what it looks like to live out and live in the freedom of Christ that he won for us so that we can experience the fullness of life that he offers us. So um, I don't know if you're this type of family, uh, but we, and by we, I mean like my parents, the family that I come from, we are a multiple refrigerator, multiple freezer type of family. And maybe your parents have this, they've got an extra fridge or an extra freezer out in the garage, right? You've got your, your kitchen fridge, but then you've got an outdoor one just for extra, right? A Gatorades, water, whatever it is that your parents put in there. Um, my parents, and I don't know if it's because we're Arabic or what, just kind of take it to a new level uh, because they have their fridge that's in the kitchen. And then you walk out into their garage and they've got not one, not two, but three other fridges and freezers right there side by side into their garage. They've got two full-size fridges in one massive deep freezer. Like you walk through my parents' garage and you feel like you're walking through the refrigerator aisle at Home Depot, okay? They're all fully functioning and they are all jam-packed full of stuff. I've never met a family that has so many refrigerators and freezers in their house. So that's what I come from. So for me, we were always, me and my wife, we were always going to have some kind of extra fridge or freezer in our garage. So we got married, bought our first house. And that was one of the first things we were, hey, let's, let's put an extra you know, fridge out there. We've only got one kid, but you know, we can put some extra stuff out there. So we got one, um, didn't really ever use it. So after the birth of my second daughter, Samantha, uh, who was born during quarantine, we were like, you know what? We're cleaning out the garage. We don't use this. Let's just sell it on Facebook Marketplace. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. And so that's what we did. So Julie sold it. So once she sold it, we, it took about a week or so for the person to come pick it up. So I was rearranging our garage. I unplugged it, moved it to the side and kind of kept doing my thing. Well, Julie came to me about a day before the guy that was supposed to come pick it up. He said, hey, is the, the fridge all ready to go? I was like, yep, unplugged it last week. It's over there on the, the inside the garage, inside the garage. And she's like, well, did you, did you let it, did you let it air out? Did you open any of the, the doors? I was like, did I? No, why would I? No, I didn't. Why would I do that? So we go out there and we opened the freezer and to our dismay, it was absolutely covered in circles of black mold. I mean, all over it, it looked like a Dalmatian. It was disgusting. I mean, I thought Stranger Things 3, something was gonna come out of that and get me and get her. I mean, we closed it wide-eyed looking at each other thinking what in the world is growing in our freezer? It was absolutely disgusting and it smelled awful. 
and we sprayed way too much bleach on it to clean it out. And eventually we did and sold it and all was well. But here is my point. Nothing healthy grows in the dark. Nothing healthy grows in the dark. Yet your default and my default as humans tend to be, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, our default tends to be to live in the dark. Or maybe it's more fitting to say to hide in the dark. That for so many of us, that's where we live our lives. We hide in the dark. And for so many of you, you're not experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus won for you because you are hiding in the dark. And by hiding in the dark, here's what I mean. I mean that there are things about you that nobody knows. That there is a a sin struggle that you've got. There is a, a part of your story you're ashamed of. There is something in your past that nobody knows. There is a struggle, a silent struggle, a secret that you're holding on to. There is something or some things about you that not a single person on planet earth knows. That our default is just kind of hide in the dark. And as Christians, as Christians, we're so good at this as Christians. This is, this is what we do. We don't want anybody to know there's anything wrong with us. We don't want anybody to know that, that something is going on. We don't want anybody to know that we don't have it all together. And so rather um, than living in the light, what we do is we hide in the dark. We're pros at this as Jesus followers. In fact, there's this quote Um, by a guy named Richard Foster. He wrote a book that I could not recommend to you anymore. It's called Celebration of the Disciplines. You should write that down. It's an incredible book. Go read it. Richard Foster, Celebration of the Disciplines. And this is what he writes. He captures this tension perfectly for us Christians that, that, that our default is and what we tend to do is hide in the dark. He says, we come to feel that everyone else has advanced so far into holiness that we are isolated and alone in our sin, that we're the only ones. We could not bear to to reveal our failures and shortcomings to others, no way. We imagine that we are the only ones who have not stepped into the high road to heaven. Therefore, we hide ourselves from one another and live in veiled lies and hypocrisy. Whew, that's some strong medicine. But it's what we do. And so for so many of us, we opt to hide in the dark rather than live in the light. And what's true for so many of you is that is your Alcatraz. That you're carrying something, there's a weight to that sin. There's a weight to that secret. And you're carrying the burden all by yourself, walking on eggshells, hoping nobody finds out. And that is your Alcatraz, hiding in the dark rather than living in the light. And that's what I wanna talk about for a few minutes together. I want us to talk about rather than hiding in the dark, what it might look like to start living in the light. Hiding in the dark looks like concealing, but living in the light looks like confessing. Hiding in the dark looks like concealing, but living in the light looks like confessing. So we're gonna talk about confession. It's another super churchy word. Last week we did repentance. Now we're doing confession. And maybe you grew up Catholic like I did. And so you had to go sit in this weird booth with uh, someone that you had no idea, had no relationship with them and confess things. Okay, I don't know what your history is with the idea of confession. Maybe it's just Usher, what's up? Uh, If you know what I'm talking about, you probably don't. Um, But confession, 
living in the light. And so for you and for me, here's a working definition of the idea of confession. I wanna reframe it for us. I wanna chip away the, the ritualistic religious nature of this word and show you how it can actually be a pathway to the fullness of life that Jesus died to give you. Here's a working definition for confession. I want you to write this down. Here's what confession is. Bringing to the light what grows stronger in the dark. Bringing to the light what grows stronger in the dark. See, for you and for me, it's way easier to hide in the darkness than it is to live in the light. Vulnerability is terrifying. It's much safer to conceal than it is to confess. It's much easier. It's much more comfortable. However, there's a consequence. We're living in the weight of it. We're carrying it all on our Oh, and so in fact, I just want you to pause for just a second. If you're watching this, you can just push pause for just a moment and, and, and answer this question with the group or whoever it is that you're watching with. Why is vulnerability so terrifying? Why is vulnerability so terrifying to you? What is it that makes concealing our default rather than confessing? Because here's what's true. If you go back to the black mold story in our freezer, the bleach did the trick, but you know what it needed initially? To, to get away from all of the mold to even begin with, I needed to open that door and let fresh air and light into that freezer. And then mold would have never grown there to begin with. Because what grew in the dark, watch this, lost its power in the light. I want you to write that down. Because what grows stronger in the dark will lose its power in the light. And I believe the same is true for you. The same is true for me. The same is true for your sin struggle. The same is true for that part of your story that nobody knows, that secret that you're holding onto. What grows stronger in the dark will lose its power in the light. And come on, you know this about darkness. You'll never find what you're looking for in the darkness. I mean, you know this, like there isn't anything in the darkness uh, that, that you find that, 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 or what am I trying to say? Imagine yourself in a dark room. You'll never find what you're looking for in the darkness, right? I mean, in fact, you know what you will find in the darkness? You'll find loneliness in the darkness. You're never gonna find the full life that Jesus came to offer you, but you know what you will find? You will find loneliness because darkness disconnects us from others. That's what you'll find in the darkness is that we're all alone. We feel like we're carrying it all alone. We don't want anybody in. And so we just kind of isolate ourselves. You'll find loneliness in the darkness because it disconnects you from others. You know what else you'll find in the dark? You'll find a low self-esteem. You'll find a low self-esteem in the darkness because darkness disorients you. Darkness disorients you. You'll start to see yourself way less than God sees you. In fact, in the darkness, it's impossible to see the back of your hand in the same way. It's impossible to see you as God sees you in the darkness because the darkness disorients you. You can't see anything. You're walking around trying to figure out where the doorknob to the bathroom is. So you'll find loneliness in the dark. You'll find a low view of yourself in the dark. And then you'll also find shame in the dark because darkness deceives you. You'll start actually believing the lies. You'll start believing that you are bad. You'll start believing that you really are unforgivable. You'll start, you'll start believing that there is no hope for you. 
Because that's what grows in the darkness. You'll never find what you're actually looking for in the dark, but you will find loneliness. You will find uh, shame and you will find a low view of yourself. Why? Because that's what the darkness does. The darkness disconnects you. The darkness disorients you and the darkness deceives you. So here's another great opportunity just to pause. I'm not going anywhere for just a moment and ask, what do you find when you choose to hide in the dark? What do you find when you choose to hide in the dark? Can I be honest? I mean, I find all of those things, but for me, the first thing I find when I try to hide in the dark is shame. That when I hide in the dark rather than live in the light, there's a voice that tells me you're not good enough to be a pastor. You're not good enough to be a leader. You're not good enough to be a husband. You're not good enough to be a father. That for me, I start playing this cycle of shame over and over and over again. That's, that's what I find first, at least, when I hide in the dark. And it's interesting, there's actually a paradox to concealing. Because we try to conceal, and why do we try to conceal? We try to conceal because we want to move past it. We try to conceal because we want to move on from it. We try to conceal because we want to be free from it. But here's the paradox of concealing is that when we conceal, that thing we're trying to conceal actually grows stronger. That thing we're trying to conceal, that sin, that struggle, that secret, as it's concealed in the dark, it actually, its grip on your heart, on your mind, and on your soul actually grows stronger. That we try to white knuckle and wrestle our sin struggle to the ground. We think we can just do it quietly. We think we can just do it on our own. But what actually starts to happen is that sin actually grows stronger and we start to struggle with it more than we ever have. That for you and for me, we think concealing it's going to lead to freedom. But actually the truth of the matter is the longer it hides, the stronger it gets. The longer it hides, the stronger it gets. So what I want us to start practicing is the discipline of confession living in the light because nothing healthy grows in the dark. In fact, shame, it starts to lift weights and get stronger in the dark. Lies of deception about who you are actually reverberate louder and farther in the dark. So I want us to start practicing Confession, but not just any confession. Here's the beautiful thing about being a Jesus follower. And here's the beautiful thing about the freedom of Christ that he won for you and for me. Is that we don't just practice any kind of confession. No, no, I wanna talk about the practice of confident confession. Write that down. Confident confession. That you and I can confess whatever it is that is going on with confidence. And I'm going to tell you why in just a few minutes. Because I believe that living in the light Confessing rather than concealing will change your life. It will bring about healing. It will change your intimacy with Jesus and it will lead you into authentic community. So I wanna talk for a few minutes about confident confession. And confident confession is a two-step process, okay? As I was writing this message, all I could think about was two-step. I wanted to, I actually wanted to play that song in this moment, but that would have been weird and awkward. But it's a two-step process, two-step process. First, we go to God and then we go to others. And for some of you, I'm about to lose you right now, but please stick with me. First, we go to God, then we go to others. What does it look like? Why both? And what is confident confession? We're gonna go to Hebrews chapter four. Uh, You can turn there with me if you want. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 and 16 is where we are going to start. 
The writer of Hebrews, right? So we actually don't know who wrote Hebrews. So I'm going to refer to the, him or her as the writer of Hebrews. And this is what the writer of Hebrews writes in verse 14. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So right off the bat, God sees everything and God knows everything. It's funny, you know, when you're a kid, you tried to hide something from your parents, but they knew all along. They were just waiting for you to tell them. God knows everything. We try to hide things from God, which is so fascinating to me. I try to do it too. He knows everything. I want you to hold on to that because that's going to be really important in just a second. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Jesus, who died, but then rose again and then ascended to sit at the right hand of the father that our faith is not empty. Now the faith we profess is rooted in a real Jesus, in a real savior who really resurrected from the grave and defeated death. So let us hold on firmly to the faith that we profess. For, he writes, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So this is so important. Jesus is not disconnected from your reality. No, no, no. In fact, he knows exactly the struggle that you and I go through every single day. That he was tempted just like we are tempted. That he knows what it's like to experience the temptation of sin, yet the only difference is he never succumbed to the temptation of sin like you and I do every single day. In fact, and we're going to talk about temptation next week, Jesus understands temptation in a way like we'll never be able to understand temptation because he never gave in. He never gave in to the temptation. So it kept on going and it kept on going and it kept on going. But here's the point. We'll talk more about that next week. Here's the point is that he can empathize with you in your moment of struggle, in your moment of weakness. He knows what you are going through and he's ready to meet you right where you are. And so he goes on. And this is a beautiful part of this verse. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. If you're reading that in your Bible, I want you to highlight confidence. I want you to circle confidence. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love that picture. Approaching the throne of grace with confidence. The throne, a picture of power and authority and even intimidation. And when you came before a king, you had no idea what you were going to get. But here there's a throne of grace is what it's called. And we can approach it, not sheepishly, not nervously, not unsure of how it will go, but confidently knowing that the response will be mercy and grace in our time of need. Do you know why we can approach the throne of grace with confidence? Where do we get the idea of confident confession? The reason why we can be confident in our confession, the reason why we can bring anything to God, we can approach him with full confidence is because everything about faith is relational. Everything about following Jesus is built on a relationship where there is a God that isn't out to get you He sent Jesus to get you. There isn't a God out there to smite you. There's a God who wants to love you, who wants to establish a relationship with you. You remember uh, when you were growing up, childhood, you probably had a friend that you were really, really close to until you became really, really close to their family too. And whenever you went to their house, 
you would just walk right in. Like that's the level that you guys are at. In fact, you knew the garage code. You never knocked, you just went right in. And you walk in and you'd give them a hug, the whole family, like you, like, you know, like you were a part of the family. And sometimes you'd go to their house and your friend wasn't even there yet, but you were just hanging out with the mom and dad until they got home. You didn't have to ask for the Wi-Fi password because you already had the Wi-Fi password. It's already on your phone. If you needed a snack, you just walked into the pantry, no questions asked. You had a confidence and a trust because of a pre-established relationship with that family. And it was as if you were a part of the family and you could walk in, not because you were entitled or not because you were being rude, but because there was an understanding and a confidence in the relationship that you had with them that you did not have with a family that you did not know as well. And it is with that same type of comfortability and confidence that we approach the throne of grace. We approach and bring to God whatever we have, not because we're entitled, not because we're flippant, but because we are confident in the relationship. Because we're confident in the lengths that he went through when he sent Jesus to make relationship possible, that he brought us into the family. And it's with that confidence that we approach the throne of grace so we can find mercy and grace in our time of need. Confident. Confession. Now, at the very beginning of this passage, we talked about, hey, everything is uncovered and laid before God. Like he already knows it all. So you might be asking, well, why in the world do I need to confess then? If God already knows, why do I need to confess to God? You've probably heard this, that you're 1.5 times more likely, and this is research, I don't know how they figured this out, but they did. You're 1.5 times more likely to achieve your goals if you actually write them down. Taking them from the abstract and bringing them into the concrete changes things. And I believe the same is true as it relates to verbalizing our confession to God. That if we don't actually ever verbalize it or write it down and bring it from the abstract into the concrete, it's like we stay trying to hide in the dark. But in the moment when we verbalize it, in the moment when we bring it to God, we are making a, uh, uh, we're making a point to say, I want to live in the light. That there's something that happens when we verbalize it. There's something that happens when it becomes concrete. There's something that happens when we come to terms and aware and become aware of our sin to such a degree that we're going to tell God about it, even though he already knows. That when we confess our sins to God, there's a sense of humility and divine brokenness that happens in our hearts where we, we know what we did was wrong, but in the very same moment are experiencing the refreshment of the grace of God and ready to move forward because we know he's already forgiven us. And when you can get to a point where you start built on the confidence of the relationship you have with God, start bringing things to him that he already knows about, but you wanna confess things to him and make it concrete and verbal, your intimacy with God will start to grow. And the relationship will only grow stronger. And in our confession to God, the joy of forgiveness becomes ours. We become released into the freedom of forgiveness. So confess to God. And here's a great moment to pause for just a moment. Confident confession. I want you to answer this question. If you're with a group, push pause and answer this question. What wrong belief about God has diminished your confidence in your relationship with him? What wrong belief about God has diminished your confidence in your relationship with him?
You've got to identify if there's a wrong belief there because that right there will keep you from confident confession. We said it's a two-step process. The first is go to God and the second is you go to a safe person. You confess to God, step one, and then you confess to a safe person, step two. Why James, James chapter five, verse 16, he writes this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is huge. That we confess to God to experience forgiveness, to feel the joy and the freedom of forgiveness and to be met with grace. But the way God designed it is, but then you go and you confess to a community of believers so that you might be healed. Forgiveness from God and we'll experience healing in community. Why? It's not because your friend has some supernatural power to heal you. It's because healing is a process. And that process is worked out best in the context of life-giving, authentic community with other like-minded people. That you and I need people in our corner to encourage us. You and I need people in our corner to speak truth to us, to believe in us, to pray for us. Because healing from that struggle and healing from that shame and healing from that sin is a process and it's not overnight. And so we gotta have people rallied around us. In fact, if the only person or the only one you're confessing to is God, you're not fully living in the light. If the only person you are going, well, I'm telling God everything, you're not fully living in the light until, until you confess it to a safe person. First to God to experience forgiveness and to remember the forgiveness, but then to others to start the process of healing. But not just any person, a safe person. A safe person, what is a safe person? A safe person is someone that is for you. A safe person is someone that you can trust. And a safe person, I think, or maybe the safest person, should be someone that has also experienced grace. And I say should, because not all Christians respond the way that they should, but if you've experienced grace, you're much more likely to be a safe place for someone that needs to be reminded of grace. Write this down. Confessing, not concealing, brings forgiveness and healing. Yes, that rhymes. And you might think that's a little cheesy, but I don't care. I want you to believe it and I want you to write it down and I want you to remember it. Confessing, not concealing, brings forgiveness and healing. Confessing, not concealing. It's counterintuitive. The enemy wants you to believe different, but confessing, not concealing, brings forgiveness and healing healing. So what does confident confession actually look like? I want to give you just five really quick practical tips on what it actually looks like to practice real and authentic confession. You ready for this? Here's the first one. Super simple. The first, be specific. Write this down. Number one, be specific. Be specific with that thing that you're confessing. Confessing in generalities doesn't do anything for you. There's a massive difference between saying, yeah, I'm struggling with anger and hey, I lashed out at my roommate and cussed him out because he left dishes in the sink. Massive difference. There's a massive difference between saying, hey, uh, I'm struggling with lust versus I watch porn on my phone once a week. 
Be specific. Being specific takes courage, but I'm telling you, it will accelerate change. So be specific. The second, I want you to include the motive. And maybe you need to identify the motive and then include the motive. But when you're confessing to God and others, include the motive. Like when there's a volcano, oftentimes sin that we commit is the smoke, but there's magma and lava underneath that's actually the source of whatever it was that we did. And we've got to get down to that. What motivated you to act the way that you acted? What motivated you to say the thing that you said? What motivated you to think the thing that you thought? Figure out the why. Because we're so good at focusing on the what, but we have to pay attention to the why. We're never going to be fully healed from the what if we don't give any attention to the why. So I want you to also include a motive. And third, authentic confession is sorrowful. Now it might sound funny and there's a fine line between sorrowful and shameful. I don't mean to be ashamed. I don't mean to like be droopy and like all get down on yourself, but it's more of an attitude of the heart thing. In fact, you've, you've experienced this. We've all had a friend apologize to us about something and we've had someone apologize to us and it'd be kind of like flippant and then didn't act like it was that big of a deal. Like, oh, hey, I, I did this. I'm just, I'm sorry, man. I hope we're all good. But we've also had somebody apologize to us and it'd be more like, hey, listen, last night, what I, what I said and the way I treated you, I'm really sorry. In fact, if I'm honest, I was out to hurt you. And the reason I, was, I didn't realize this till I went to bed that night, but it's because I was jealous of you and you deserve way better than that. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? One attitude is flippant and the other is sorrowful. And you and I know what we want out of somebody that's coming to us about something. So why would we go to God or to others any differently? So be specific, include a motive. It's sorrowful. And it's also number four, accompanied by repentance. That the reason why you confess is to change. You might wanna write that down. The reason why you confess is to change. And so if we're just confessing, but we're not taking steps to turn, then we're missing it. In fact, our whole message last week was about repentance and confession was one of the steps in repentance. We just thought it was a big enough deal to do a whole week about it. Confession should lead to change. It should be accompanied by repentance. And the fifth and final one is in your confession, I want you to remember the cross. And if you're the one being confessed to, I want you to also remember the cross. My wife, she sent me this, um, this Instagram meme. Well, you know, Instagram's kind of like turning into Twitter a little bit. Not really, but like there's pictures of just words, you know? So I don't know what you call that. Is it a meme? I don't know. But she sent me this from an account that we follow. And I was going to read it to you. The girl wrote, <clears throat> my dad once wrote a note to us and put it in a drawer. The note said, if you're scared to tell me something, just bring me this note as a reminder that I'm here to support you. I won't get mad. I will work with you on a solution. And I just remember thinking, that's the kind of dad I wanna be. I wanna give Harper a note that says, if you're scared to tell me something, just bring me this note as a reminder to yourself that I won't get mad and I'm gonna work with you on a solution. The cross is a note that reminds you and reminds me that God's response to you is always mercy and grace. 
The cross is a note that reminds you and it reminds me that Christ already did all the work. The cross is a note that reminds you and reminds me there's nothing too bad and there's nothing too big to bring to God. Confident confession. So what do you need to confess? What's one thing that you don't want anybody else to know right now that is true of you. Because the longer we live in the dark, the longer we're going to be in Alcatraz. But the freedom of Christ enables you and me to live in the light, to not let that thing grow any stronger in the dark and experience the fullness and the freedom that Jesus has for us by living in the light. Confessing not concealing brings forgiveness and healing. And so what we wanna do in the next few moments is we wanna give you space to figure out what that is. We wanna give you space to process this between you and your heavenly father. And so the way we're gonna end tonight is Lauren's gonna play a song, not for you to sing, but to give you a moment to reflect, to give you a moment to pray, to give you a moment to do whatever it is you need to do in this moment and to identify that thing that you need to bring out of the darkness and into the light. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna go into this time where Lauren's gonna lead us in this special song. And after that, we'll see you guys right back here next week for part four. Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus and thank you that we can confess confidently because your response is always going to be mercy and grace. Thank you for grace. Thank you that you give us undeserved favor. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now there are students who are going to be taking steps out of the darkness and into the light, that they're going to stop concealing and they're going to start confessing, that they're going to stop hiding in the dark and they're going to start living in the light. I pray that in the light, in the light that chains are broken and in the light, freedom is experienced. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.